So Christmas is just a few days away, and um, we know that there are several passages of Scripture that are, um, let's say, uh, peripheral to, to the Christmas narrative, to the story that we typically read in the second chapter of Luke's Gospel. One of them I'd like to um, read from this morning with you, with the help of the Lord, as I believe it's very um, timely, both surrounding the Christmas, the Advent, the Christmas season, and also uh, for what we're all going through um, right now. And that would be the first chapter of Matthew. So turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, and we'll begin reading with the first verse. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. And Judas begat Phares and Zara of Tamar, and Phares begat Ezram, and Ezram begat Aram, and Aram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nasan, and Nasan begat Salmon. And Salmon begat Boaz of Rachab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse begat David the king. And David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. And Solomon begat Reboam, and Reboam begat Abia. And Abia begat Asa, and Asa begat Josaphat, and Josaphat begat Joram, and Joram begat Ozias. And Isaiah begat Joatham, and Joatham begat Achaz, and Achaz begat Ezekias. And Ezekias begat Manasses, and Manasses begat Ammon, and Ammon begat Josias. And Josias begat Jeconias and his brethren about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias begat Salatiel, and Salatiel begat Zorobabel. And Zorobabel begat Abiud, and Abiud begat Eliakim, and Eliakim begat Azor. And Azor begat Zadok, and Zadok begat Achim, and Achim begat Eliud. And Eliud begat Eleazar, and Eleazar begat Mathan, and Mathan begat Jacob. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations, and from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. I've read up into and including the 17th verse. A number of you have, I think, uh, visited us in our smaller church in, in Balingen. It's a beautiful area. There are several things to, to see as a tourist, and one of them, by far the most uh, important, I would say, is um, is the castle that is just outside of our town, um, a very old historic castle with, with interesting, uh, interesting stories about it. Um, my wife and I were there with guests, some time ago, and uh, milling around in the courtyard, and um, with many other tourists taking selfies and doing what tourists do, and um, my wife came up to me and said, Jeremy, I just saw the prince. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, the prince of this castle, he and his wife just walked across the courtyard 
and no one noticed it. So the interesting thing is, and this is a bit foreign from a North American perspective, but there's still royalty in Europe. And a lot of the countries will still have an official royal family, even if they're not actively involved in politics or, or maybe just have a, sort of more of a formal role in, in the political structure of the country. And, uh, and that's the case, uh, this castle, um, just outside of Balingen. There's, uh, there is an actual literal prince. He's almost exactly my age. And, um, you would probably not recognize his name, but he is a prince. And in fact, if you would look at his, at his identification card, um, his name, his first name would be bookended by the phrase Prince of Prussia. That's on his actual ID card. And, uh, and again, that's something pretty foreign for us, but very, uh, very fascinating, almost like a, a sort of a fairy tale situation that there would be literal princes and princesses and kings and queens in our day. But it, it is the case. And, um, I think when, when we in Canada think of royalty, we think of, uh, someone very wealthy, someone from England surrounded by a royal entourage, um, maybe shadowed by paparazzi. Um, but that's not the case. There are many almost unknown royals, um, and there happened to be one of them on that day as, as we were visiting, and uh, an actual prince, the owner, literally the owner of that castle. It's not a, a government-owned heritage site. It's, it's privately owned, and then basically, uh, uh, I guess, uh, uh, operated as a tourist site in order to, for, uh, for the upkeep and the, and the income it provides. And here was a case where the actual the prince and his wife were simply walking across the courtyard and, uh, and no one noticed. Royalty was just passing within several feet of people and they were too busy taking selfies and admiring the architecture that was around them. And um, we might think, well, what, what kind of a prince, you know, is unknown? What's, what's, what's the value in that? And, and other than owning that castle, it, it doesn't seem to provide uh, provide much of an advantage. And, and we would think, well, uh, you know, how can we be sure that someone like that is a prince, that he's of, of royal lineage? And uh, and if you were to take a tour of the castle, it begins in a large room where the entire family tree, going back many centuries, is is beautifully uh, drawn, beautifully uh, painted on the walls. And you can follow his name going back many, many generations to, to prove, essentially, that this is the Prince of Prussia, that this is a, a man of royal lineage, and thereby the heir of this castle and the heir of the title that he has. And obviously, uh, the connection is, is clear to you all now. Uh, a, a genealogy, reading a genealogy as the basis for a sermon is not very common, I admit. But... Um, Matthew is not simply following uh, some kind of uh, convention of the time um, in writing this uh, this genealogy. He is doing that, but he's doing much more than that. So it was often the case that um, uh, that that you know narratives that uh, Greco-Roman biographies, as they're called, of that time, of which the Gospels are, are four of them uh, pertaining to Jesus, that they would follow conventions of Greek writing at that time. Um, and Luke is an example. They will begin with, uh, well not begin, I believe it's in the third chapter. He has a genealogy and he follows um, Jesus back through into history and, and, and ends up at Adam. 
and uh, and then then calls Adam a son of God. So Luke is sort of uh, winking at us uh, at that point to make the connection um, to Jesus. And um, Matthew actually does not follow the contemporary Greek conventions. He follows the ancient Hebrew conventions as in the Old Testament. He's making a statement. He wants us to make a connection um, that Jesus um, belongs to Israel and fulfills a very special role in the history of Israel. And um, Matthew makes makes no let's uh, does not let us uh, speculate about his intentions. He begins right away in the first verse. He makes basically the thesis of his uh, of his gospel. He makes an opening statement to let us know where he's going to take us as we continue reading throughout this gospel, um, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, this is the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, we're so used to reading phrases like that that it doesn't really impact us, I think, as much as it would impact um, Matthew's Jewish readers in in the first uh, couple um uh, generations of, of of the early church, as as many um, Jews and then uh, later more and more Gentiles uh, converted to to Christianity. But he's just the statement Christ. We almost sort of add that on and say, well, Jesus Christ, almost as though it's part of his name. But it's a statement about um, his. It's his title, basically, Christ, meaning Messiah. And uh, so he begins right off the bat saying, this is the generation of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. These are loaded words he's giving us now. He could say he's a, he's a son of Zerubbabel. He you know, could say he's the wife of, he's a, excuse me, the son of Solomon, uh, because Solomon was considered one of the greatest uh, greatest kings in Israel's history. That was sort of when, when Israel and Judah, the last uh, king, when they were still united, and it was at its apex, the kingdom. Why not say the son of Solomon? It's because he's making statements um, about uh, about Jesus, who he is, his identity, and what that means for us. And he goes, and, and so he begins, as I said, not not starting at Jesus and working back through history, he begins at Abraham. Abraham, who we're told um, in the New Testament, is the father of faith, and all of us can, can also be children of, of Abraham, and that we place our trust in Christ. But he begins this at Abraham. And again, this is, this is Matthew's statement. He's not simply uh, rattling off a bunch of names that may be difficult to pronounce or may be forgettable for us. He wants us to make a connection here, because this informs how we read the rest of his gospel. Um, the different gospels present different sides of, of Jesus, different um, aspects of his life. Just as um, if you were to ask anyone um, about someone that you had never met, and you wanted to learn more about them, and you'd ask someone, and they would tell you stories, and, and they would be presenting their perspective. And then you ask someone else, and, and they wouldn't be uh, conflicting it wouldn't be conflicting information, but it would be additional information. We would be sort of seeing it from a different angle, a different perspective. And and the Gospels are like that. And Matthew really brings um, the royal lineage, the kingship, the lordship of Jesus to the forefront. He wants us to see that um, again and again. So he begins with uh, with Abraham. And why does he do that? Well, 
we all know the promise that was given to Abraham, the father of many nations. Um, God would uh, bless those who bless him and, and persecute those who persecute um, his children, his seed. Um, but among those promises, in, uh, in Genesis chapter 17, um, beginning at verse 6, just one or two verses, And I will make thee, God speaking to Abraham, and I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. Kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. So an interesting, very powerful passage. Kings will come out of the line of Abraham. So at that time, that was not the case. Um, so we know Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We can read in, in the book of Genesis um, about their lives. And, uh, uh, and it, was, it was, of course, many years um, until, many generations, until there was actually that uh, Israel had be, be basically received their land again, their, the kingdom. And then uh, they had a king beginning with Saul, um, but basically, uh, Saul did not have a, a dynasty. A dynasty is when uh, a family uh, continues to rule over a long period of time, uh, one king after another. So it's it's interesting that uh, if you read through um, the books of Kings and Chronicles, uh, as I was doing in my private devotions recently, um, just working my way through the Old Testament, um, it's really interesting to follow, see the similarities and contrasts between the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. As I said, it was Saul, David, Solomon. Then the kings, the kingdoms were unified. It was one kingdom of Israel, and then it split into the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel. And uh, up until that point, it's, it's it's interesting. What happens with this with this split? Well, there's another name here. It's, uh, it's Judas. Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. So Judas and his brethren. The others aren't even mentioned by name here. So basically this is, this is Judah, what would eventually become the tribe of Judah. And there's another prophecy that was made regarding Judah, and that's also in the book of Genesis. That would be Genesis 49, verses 9 to 10. So this is actually a prophecy. Um, we see eventually, or, or as we as we follow this through, we realize that it, that it is uh, from God. Um, but uh, God is speaking through Jacob as he blesses his sons, who will become um, basically the, the 12 tribes of Israel. He speaks to each of them and says, Simeon, you are you are like this. This is what the future holds for you. And he comes to Judah. He says, Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as an old lion. Who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. So a very powerful but yet uh, cryptic passage for us, maybe. Judah is a lion's whelp. And if that's ringing a bell for you, that's because you're thinking of Revelations chapter 5, verse 5, I believe, when it speaks of Christ as the Lion of Judah. So they 
believers connected this passage to Jesus and said beyond just Judah the man and the tribe of Judah and and the kingdom of Judah, much more important, um, there will be a fulfillment of this passage in a man in Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus we call Christ. He is the Lion of Judah who will triumph. Um, and then there's uh, there's another passage, of course, as we come then to David. As I said, uh, there's um, there's dynasties, and then there's uh, much more uh, messier histories, uh, as was the case in the northern kingdom of Israel. There were, I believe, um, until from the leading away into captivity in Babylon, I believe there were nine different dynasties, so nine different families. And in between them, uh, some of them only reigned for one generation. And then the king was murdered, um, or, or, or something along those lines. Very messy history. But Judah, the kingdom of Judah, is different. After Saul, David becomes king and receives a promise from God. And after that, the monarchy never changes hands. It stays in Israel right up until, in, within the, the lineage of David, sorry, right up until... Um, uh, the captivity uh, leading into Babylon. And of course, Matthew follows it further. He keeps it going. Even though um, after that that pivotal event, the, the Babylonian captivity, although they're not really recognized as kings, Matthew keeps the lineage going so we can follow it um, up to Jesus. So again, just a few verses. Uh, you can turn or not turn here. It's Second uh, Samuel um, chapter 17. Verse 16. So this is when David, um, very prosperous, there was a peace in the land, and he felt guilty because he had a very large, majestic home that he had built for himself, and uh, the temple was basically just a tent. Um, it was uh, it was nothing nothing special. Definitely not a cathedral, um, as, as we might call it. And um, uh, David felt somewhat uh, guilty or inspired, we could say, and he was motivated by the right thing to to build a temple for for God. Um, and then uh, God revealed that it was not for him to do; it was for his son Solomon to do. And then in this uh, passage, um, where God is speaking to David about this, um, it says, beginning Second uh, Samuel chapter seven verse fourteen, I will be his father, and he shall be my son. Speaking of uh, of Solomon, but then we realize as it continues, this can't all just be speaking about Solomon. And I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of iron, with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house. And thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. So Nathan the prophet, speaking on behalf of God, these words to David the king. And if we know that the Babylonian captivity occurred, how can it be that that this statement is accurate when, when God says that this kingdom will be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. Well, clearly, we're now looking beyond simply the earthly kingdom of, of Judah, of Israel. Um, we're looking at something much bigger, something everlasting, something eternal. And this is basically um, the 
setup that um, that Matthew uh, that Matthew gives us. So this is not even the setup. This is the core message uh, of of much of his gospel. That Jesus is the son of David, uh, as he states in the first verse. Not that doesn't just mean a descendant. That means a king, an inheritor, an heir of something. And what is that? Well, if we read in these passages, and of course many other passages, uh, especially the minor prophets, um, after the Babylonian captivity, um, this longing for for deliverance and 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 the glory of of the kingdom as it was before the Babylonian captivity, and then obviously prophesying how that will come to pass in the Messiah, it's very moving and it's it's amazing. And we um, sometimes I think when we speak of prophecies, what are the prophecies of? of the coming of Jesus. We would think of specific things, um, uh, sort of like uh, the things like that he would be um, born in the city of David. Obviously, no coincidence there, um, which is Bethlehem, um, that he would be born of a virgin. That's sort of what we, were, what we think of when we think of a prophecy about Jesus. But all these passages that we've read and many others, speaking of uh, the royal lineage of, of David, those are... Um, passages, those are prophecies actually in their own way through narrative, obviously the, the lives of these, of these men, that the Messiah would come from their line. It's, uh, again, just very interesting, fascinating. These, these genealogies are something we may uh, want to skip over if we do, uh, uh, private devotions and we get to these passages. Maybe we want to skip a chapter or two or read quickly through and not really grasp, uh, what it's being said, what's being communicated to us. But they're very important in, in the, this grand narrative of scripture. Um, make no mistake about it. It's important that we realize that Jesus is king. Also for us now, it's not simply a title. Um, it's not simply, uh, um, something that would give us good feelings or, or, or something that would be an interesting fact as we uh, read through and meditate on Scripture, um, sort of fulfilling prophecy just for the sake of fulfilling prophecy. It affects um, how we worship God, how we live our lives now in our day. Um, and it's interesting, I mentioned that uh, the uh, after the Babylonian captivity, uh, the, the, there was no real, maybe vassal kings, but there were no real, real kings. We heard just uh, last week from uh, um, Brother Sam about the Maccabean uh, Revolution, the uprising there in that time period. There was a lot of turmoil, and and there were time periods where they um, could uh, win back a bit of control, but it was never really the way it was, um, the way it was before. Something was something was missing. The prophecy remained unfulfilled, and. Matthew picks two pivoting points of, of this story. Um, David and the Babylonian captivity. Verse 17, the last verse we read together. In this whole narrative from Abraham to Jesus, two pivoting points. David and the Babylonian captivity. David, because that is the beginning of the Davidic line, the royal line from which the Christ, the Messiah, would come. And the Babylonian captivity, because that's the point where basically this lineage continues uh, continues along, but no one recognizes the descendants as kings. No one recognizes them as heirs or, or having this right. And um, 
And so it's, we're sort of left hanging. What happens now? And, but we see there's a, there's a consistency and, uh, and it's a bit more complicated, um, if you look into it a bit further about the 14 generations. So, so why would Matthew pick these, this seemingly random number, 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations, three times? Interesting point, maybe a bit of speculation. Um, in Hebrew, words, Letters and words, by extension, have numerical values. They're used as letters and as numbers. And the numerical value of the name David is 14. That's what some people speculate, and, and, and there may be something to that. It seems to make sense that, that Matthew is really hammering this point home. Um, let's make no mistake about who we're talking about here. This is the son of David, not just the son of, 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 of all these uh, names, uh, most of whom we never really heard about unless we're very familiar with, with the kings of Judah, um, as listed in the books of Kings and Chronicles. Um, but uh, Matthew's saying, please don't miss this. Jesus is king. He is the rightful heir and the fulfiller of, of all of these passages um, in, that, we've, that have led up into this point in, uh, in, in the Old Testament. So, Really interesting, and uh, in case anyone is, is thinking, well, you know, he, this this is leading up to Joseph, and we know Joseph wasn't really um, biologically the, the father of Jesus, but it's important to note that even through uh, through adoption or or, or something to, of that nature, that um, the inheritance can also pass. So we don't need to we don't need to stumble at that. So I said that this has a, a real impact on how we live, how we see ourselves, how we see the world around us right now. This fact that Jesus is king, let us adore him, as we sang in in the opening hymn. Well, again, I said that Matthew um, really uh, brings home this point about the kingship of, of Jesus. And we can uh, use different we, different words. Sometimes we use master or lord. That's also a, a very um, a very appropriate term. We can speak of the lordship of, of Jesus. Um, basically, these are terms referring to his authority, his authority over us as individuals and over the world. And ultimately, and of course this is vitally important, his authority over people who don't even realize that they're under his authority or refuse to acknowledge it, refuse to obey him. And and that's something I think that that we can all acknowledge is really um, timely right now. Um, Matthew speaks of the king, and of course, when you have a king, you you need to have a kingdom. So, in this span of fourteen generations, uh, roughly from the carrying away into Babylon, the Babylonian captivity until Christ. There were basically kings, we could call them almost undercover kings, kings in waiting, um, but they didn't have a kingdom. Beginning with Jesus, there was a kingdom, and that is, again, a central message um, that, uh, that this evangelist, Matthew, wants us to grasp, the kingdom. Just in the book of Matthew, that term kingdom appears 54 times, and Three of those times, it's in the context or within the phrase that um, Jesus preached the good news of the kingdom. I'm intentionally saying good news now. It's actually gospel. The word gospel 
is uh, a modernized uh, version of the old English word Godspell, which means good news. So Jesus literally preached the good news of the kingdom. So this reality of Jesus as king and the kingdom that he is bringing with him is good news. That's a fundamental point that we need to uh, that we need to grasp, that we need to be aware of. Um, it's not um, something that we need to be afraid of, that anyone needs to be afraid of. Um, something to be concerned about that that um, as, as maybe a human being um, uh, when when they would um, strive for power we'd be very concerned um, because we know that a great power in the hands of a human being is almost always abused uh, to some degree sometimes very little and we can be thankful for that um, and, and other times unfortunately to, to a great degree and of course history is full of examples we don't need to get into those um, but this is good news. Jesus as king and the coming with his arrival, with his birth, the arrival of the kingdom of God, of the kingdom of Christ, is exceptionally good news for all of us, for the whole world. And, and that's why we sing joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. It's good news. And we know it's good news because we need to not only look at the king, this is not a man who, um, who, who extracted undue money from people who, do, who made unreasonable demands, um, who was ultimately in it uh, for, for himself. Um, Jesus is the ultimate display of, of love. We've heard the phrase that uh, um, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely and 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 Jesus is the example of of just the polar opposite of that of that fact of human nature someone who gave himself for you for me for every person on earth to redeem us um, by his blood he said that no man has has greater love than to lay down his life for his friends and he laid down his life for all of us Jesus is um, not only uh, a king who 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 are not a king that demands uh, obedience, that demands, um, um, I can't think of the word right now, but he's, um, he shows us, we're drawn to him by his example, by his love, by his grace, um, by what he does and how he offers himself for, for us. And we think this, now this is, Someone I can get under. This is, this is someone I can, you know, whose authority I can gladly accept. I hope that's how you all, you all see him. Um, and there are many different aspects. Uh, we don't have the time to go through all the different ways where we could show how the kingdom of God and, and the kingship of Christ is good news for the world. But even within just staying in this genealogy, there are some very interesting things here. Uh, for one, generally women were not included in, in these genealogies, and we have four um, included here. Um, and interestingly, of course, uh, if you know um, if you know anything about these these passages, you may have cross references in your Bible, and you can go back and read about these passages. Um, and it's not very pretty the things that that happened, and and how these women were involved in in the genealogy of Christ. And not in every case, but. Um, but a couple of them. And the interesting thing is, not just women, these were Gentile women, at least three of them. We're not sure about um, uh, Bathsheba, um, but, uh, but for sure, um, the other women who are, who are included here, 
Um, Rachab, that would be uh, Rachel from the story of, of, of Jericho. Um, so she was from the city of Jericho, not Jewish. Um, Ruth and um, and of course uh, we all know the story of um, Bathsheba. So we have these women and Gentile women. So already Matthew's Matthew's again hinting. He's he's winking at us. He's including um, instances. He's including people in the lineage of Jesus that you know any other person maybe would would prefer to gloss over or you know especially because they're not required to as these are women why why would you intentionally in, include them but again um this seems to be a statement from Matthew about the in, inclusiveness about the wide reach of the kingdom this is not just for for Jews this is not just for one tribe for for a, a group of people on the inside and then what happens with the rest of the world that that doesn't concern me as long as we're saved uh, me and my family and, and my tribe, I'm, I'm fine with that. This is the good news of the kingdom that is available to the entire world. It's, it's good news that can be preached everywhere. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King and His kingdom has arrived. So, beautiful, um, inclusion, uh, inclusions in this, uh, in, in this genealogy. Um, and so that begs the question. We're speaking about um, a very inclusive, worldwide-reaching kingdom. How do we view the kingdoms or the nations that we are in right now? And I think that's a that's something that a lot of us are are struggling with. It's a it's a question that's always current. But but uh, right now, as of uh, you know, three quarters of a year as of March, um, we're really starting to to ask ourselves. Um, Wow, um, I'm part of the kingdom of Christ, and I also am now living. I find myself in this earthly nation, and you know what happens when we sense that commands from these two kingdoms are starting to diverge. It's it's a question that is that's far above my pay grade to answer. Um, we definitely need um, um, prayer. Individually and and uh, striving for unity, as has been mentioned many times, I'm, I'm not the first person to say that from from this spot or from from other pulpits. Um, and and it's not my my intention to make a statement. I just want to maybe um, briefly go over, remind us about about you know what the situation we're in as citizens of the kingdom of God and citizens of this country or another country, but in any case, residents here. And that, that's the, the, um, the analogy I, I prefer. I like to think of, although I have a citizenship, I have a passport, um, my actual citizenship is in a heavenly kingdom. I, I have a, a tr- my truest, deepest citizenship, my ultimate, the highest citizenship I have, my allegiance is to the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God. And that's the standard. There's no compromising there. But, of course, all of us find ourselves as citizens of, of, of earthly nations or residents here. So what do we do when we think that those things um, come into conflict with each other? Well, again, I, I don't know that uh, 
that I can now, um, uh, in, the, in this moment, just issue some sort of a blanket statement. Um, the situation here and in, in other countries um, right now is very different, um, and, and, and this is a challenging time for us. But we have to remember that uh, Jesus and is a king who basically um, willingly gives a portion of authority, if I can call it that, to um, to earthly people, to and, and not just government. So, for example, um, Brother Ben has been taking us through um, uh, the first epistle of Peter recently, and we know um, there are a couple chapters that make us a little uncomfortable because um, we are called to submit to authorities um, in all things. And obviously, if we go through the book of uh, through the epistle of First uh, Peter, it's not just earthly authorities in the sense of the government, um, political authorities, political structures. There are other authority structures that we're under. So um, those, uh, you know, a master slave, thankfully um, not uh, not applicable to our circumstances. But if that structure is in place, um, uh, Peter instructed the believers how to how to manage that, how to deal with that. Um, husbands and wives, parents and children, and of course there are authority structures in the church. So basically all of us um, find ourselves, regardless of our, our, our gender or age or position in life, we all find ourselves uh, to some degree under earthly authority structures. And um, these are things that are not to be taken lightly. So, And, and I'm thankful that scripture is clear about that, that um, as long as uh, we're not being, uh, you know, we, we're not having demands placed on us that are in direct, um, you know, uh, conflict to the very clear teachings of, of Scripture. As long as what they're demanding of us is not explicitly contrary to what God demands of us, we are to submit, even if we don't understand it, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's unfair in, in, in our eyes. And that's, as I said, um, a truth that's, Let's admit, um, uncomfortable sometimes, but it is a truth that's to be found in Scripture. And where exactly do we do we draw the line where we say, "I'm sorry, we we cannot go along with this anymore"? That's that's something that we need to handle very carefully um, and, and consider prayerfully and and as a body of Christ um, before doing anything rash, um, because again, Scripture is very clear about um, about our relationship to earthly authority structures. And, and just as a reminder, um, none of these authority structures will exist um, when the kingdom of God comes in, in complete fulfillment. Um, when, the, uh, when the new heaven and earth appear, um, there will not be these authority structures in the new earth. These are things that are temporary, and it's as though, again, um, Jesus is loaning a bit of his authority, just allowing it to a degree, as, as much as he decides, as, as much as is in the will of God and his sovereignty, um, and, and, and we need to uh, live under that to the best of our ability. So I think that's important to, to make a note of our true citizenship, our highest citizenship, and then I would say, although I'm a citizen and, and we're all citizens of either this country or another country, I almost see that as, as a permanent residence. Um, and again, as permanent residents, you're required to follow the laws, laws of the land. You have uh, most of the same rights as a citizen, but um, um, 
you know, if, if, if we were to get permanent residence, there are some countries that have very, uh, you know, laws that are stricter than, than we have or um, uh, just very different that we may seem odd to us. But if we're a permanent resident in that country, we need to submit to that, uh, to, to that authority. So where does that leave us? Again, I said that the authority structures um, that we're under right now, um, they will not exist in, in the future. Um, that's, I think, something really important as we struggle with, um, uh, with challenging situations. And, and again, I'm, I'm not trying to make this a, po- a political message. Um, there's just generally a lot of fear right now. Um, there's um, a lot of anxiety, um, um, a, a worsening of, of, of mental illnesses, just resulting from from the stress of, of people. You know what people are hearing on, on, on the news, and pick your news source. You'll hear different things about the situation we're in, and um, and uh, we're we're under threat of of Satan attacking our uh, the the body of Christ. To, to create disunity, to create divisions in this, there are, uh, and, and just the, um, the, the, the cause of concern about the illness, um, that, that is, that we're surrounded by, the, the, the top news item on, on, on every news program. Um, we just, my wife and I found out uh, about uh, a couple, um, older people in, in Germany that we know personally this past week that passed away, um, with uh, and, and they were diagnosed as, as as having COVID, so just all of these things together at once. So you know, politically, pick your decision. That's a, that's a discussion we can have. But let's face it, we're all under a bit of stress right now, and 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 there's a huge degree of uncertainty that did not exist uh, just a year ago. We're coming to the end of 2020, and, and none of us, you know, in making our New Year's resolutions, could have possibly seen this coming. And, 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 and where does this leave us now? Is it possible that, um, that a lot of what we're personally experiencing or seeing around us is just exposing what was already there in really not putting our faith in, in the kingship, the lordship of Jesus and, and, um, and maybe, uh, you know, assuming having at a, at a deeper subconscious level, uh, or, or, or gaining our sense of security, um, from how things have been in, in, in the nations that we live up until this point, um, up until the seeming security of our, of our jobs, I think that's, that's a distinct possibility, um, that this is a, an important message we need to hear right now, that as we go in, in, in five days, as we celebrate Christmas, and it will be, it will look and feel different than it did last year and than it's ever felt before. Um, there is that quaint, comforting aspect of, of a baby in a manger, but, um, Matthew prefaces his narrative of the birth of Christ with this genealogy, basically this statement of the lordship of Christ, the kingship of Christ. And says, don't miss this. Um, don't let the seeming normalcy of this royalty, um, uh, as it passes by, um, don't let it, don't be deceived by that. Don't, don't miss it, that there's actually a deeper truth happening again. You may not, uh, it may not look like it on the outside, um, just this quaint birth in a manger, but this is the arrival of royalty. Um, 
Matthew is basically um, literarily rolling out the red carpet um, in this lineal, uh, uh, genealogy, in this lineage of, of Jesus. There are, um, of course, the, the different um, aspects of the person and the ministry of Christ that we could dwell on. And, and, and that's why Scripture is as big as it is, and that's why um, uh, there's no end to, um, to, to teasing out the different uh, meanings of, of the different, um, um, uh, you know, the names of Christ and his, his offices, his, his ministries. Um, and we dwell on a, on a lot of them. Um, there's, uh, for instance, you, we've heard the phrase that Jesus was prophet, priest, and king. Um, you know, he was the, he was a prophet that not simply brought the word of God to people, he was the word of God. Right? He was a priest that did not simply, um, offer a sacrifice on behalf of his people, he offered himself as a sacrifice. The ultimate prophet, the ultimate priest, and I think we need to be reminded, um, today that he's also the ultimate king. The king who has everything under his control, and who will, he, he is in charge right now, whether we feel it or not, um, everything that happens is being allowed, um, and he will be in charge when this is all over. We heard also last weekend uh, we were treated to the uh, the Messiah program, a highlight of uh, of passages from uh, from Handel's Messiah Oratory, and of course, no uh, program of highlights from the Messiah is complete without the Hallelujah Chorus. That um, very moving, majestic piece of music that somehow musically brings it closer to us that Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And and what does it say? Uh, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. And, and may that be our our hope in this time and our, our hope for the future. Not just a hope as in uh, some sort of a vague. Uh, feeling, but real confidence, and, and let's um, get our security from that fact, uh, as we've read and, and, and heard this morning. May God help us um, as we do that. Amen.